0: Mike's
1: up? I think so, right. yep. It seems like we couldn't hear Luke on that. Could you guys hear Luke?
0: Was it Michael? Just me? Old, bad hearing? All right. Anthony, say hello to the members of Sixth yeah. Avenue Community Church. Hello, church. Yeah. Members, good, to be, yes. good to be with you. Yes. Can you tell everyone your full name? Middle as well.
1: <laughs> My name is... Really? Really. Yeah. My name is Anthony Carl... Coughlin.
0: Anthony Carl Coughlin. And you hail from which part of these United States? Uh,
1: I am from Philadelphia, where, where you got your, our great country.
0: So, now, were you yeah. born on the west side of Philadelphia? I was, yes. And did you spend most of your days on the playground? No,
1: I spent most of my days in a boarding school. Oh, a yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Can, can you give, and this is asking a lot, brother, yeah. but I want our people to hear the grace of your life, and I know that all of our members won't get a chance to talk to you after service. Yeah. Can you give us a 30-second to one-minute version of your testimony? <laughs> you can do it. Uh,
1: yeah, so born uh, to a single grandmother. Uh. parents did not take care you of us. You were born to your grandmother. No, I was, born, I was born of my mother, who did not raise any of us. I'm one of nine kids. Yeah. Uh and went to be with her, heard the gospel from a, a peer when I was nine years old. Um, he forced me to listen to a gospel presentation in order for me to be able to play video games. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and so I listened. Uh, I did not. He made me pray the sinner's prayer, which I did not mean any word of. And then we went to an Easter play later. A pastor gave a gospel presentation. He was with me. I was convicted. I got up to go forward and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to receive Christ. He said, you can't do that. You did that with me. Uh, And I said, I did not believe that. Uh, I, I believe it's possible I trust the Lord for salvation there. Went to boarding school, no discipleship, no church home. Pause, pause. Yeah, yeah. Boarding school. Yeah.
0: Can you tell our people what your boarding school has to do with the Hershey's candy bar?
1: The man who started Hershey's chocolate also started that school. Okay. Um, so went through uh, elementary school, high school, middle school, no, no discipleship, no church home. Went to college. Through a season of depression and living in unrepentant sin, um, knowing that I was sinning against the Lord Jesus, came under great conviction, under uh, someone's preaching, and ran back to my dorm room, fell on my face, prayed to the Lord to, to please forgive me. Um, I fell asleep praying. I woke up the next day, and all I wanted to do was read my Bible and tell people mm-hmm. about Jesus.
0: Praise God. So. And you've been a pastor now for how long?
1: Well, I've served at another church before Risen Christ for seven years as a lay pastor, functioning almost like a full-time sure pastor um, just because of the nature of the work and then left there I've been at Risen Christ since we started I've been pastoring there for two years
0: and can you tell everyone in our church about the the many books that you've written
1: I've written no books
0: you've written no books okay can you tell the people of our church about uh, all the degrees that you have
1: I I have a bachelor's and a master's
0: okay but not no 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 can you tell the people of our church about the really big conference that you put on and the, where you go and you all these speaking engagements? No, I don't
1: no. do that, no.
0: So why are you here? <laughs>
1: I, I, I preach a good gospel. Uh, yeah. yeah, Amen, uh, that's right. I'm friends with you. Friends with me? That's yeah. right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So Anthony Coughlin is here because I, I told our elders recently in an elders meeting that I think in light of everything that's going on in the craziness of the world and the end of T4G and all that stuff, that it's really, really, really important for like-minded pastors and churches to, to, to be very connectional. We can do that through structures, and we can do that organically. We're not part of any denominational body, but we have an, organiza- we have an organic connection. Right. And I, I just I want us to have relationships with other faithful churches who are doing essentially the same thing we're doing, yeah. just in a very different context. You are in a not particularly great neighborhood in Philly. Yeah, Germantown. Yeah, Yeah. It's in the northwest section of the city. Yeah, Yeah. North Philly, not really safe. No, (laughs) no, no. But you guys do all the same stuff we do. It looks a little different. That's right. Sounds a little different, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you don't have very many, I mean, less than 100 members in the church? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, about about 70 members. Yeah, Yeah. but Mm -hmm. you
0: guys are just trying to follow the Lord faithfully. Yep. Yeah, praise God. Um, Now, uh, you're probably the most vocal person in our service this morning. Okay. Lots of amens. Mm-hmm. lots of hands. Our, I'm, I'm easily, I'm easily encouraged, brother. Yeah, yeah, look so, at look how dull and boring we are. Right? So, what do you want from our people this I, morning? As they listen to you preach, do you want them to try to do what's not natural to them? I don't
1: want you. To, no, I don't want you to do what's not <laughs> natural to you. Um, but I do want you. If you are encouraged, um, you know the, the the scripture says that we we can we can voice those things. Uh, and say those things. Uh, and so if you are encouraged, I will not be discouraged or thrown off by an amen or a praise the Lord. Or, it would
0: actually be encouraging.
1: It would be. And, and it's encouraging to almost every preacher I've ever spoken to. Yeah. Um, so if you want to encourage your pastor yeah. and, your, and those that preach the word to you, let them know that you're with them and that you're encouraged and that God is using what they're doing uh, for your joy. And sometimes a simple just amen, praise yeah. the Lord. Just some verbal, just so we can know there's a pulse. Yeah. All
0: right. Can we do yeah. that? Can we just try it right now? Three, two, one. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's probably the best you're going to get this morning. That's okay. That's all right. Let me pray for you, brother, as you bring the word for us this David. morning. Lord God, we love you. We thank you so much for Ant and his, his faithful, quiet service. What a joy it is to have him in our midst, to be mm. served by him. We pray that his time with us would also be a blessing to him. Mm. But the most important thing, God, is that this morning he is going to speak your word, mm. and we, your people, will feast on it. So we pray that your spirit would aid us in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you, brother. Don't okay.
1: okay, family, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus. Yeah, I'm going to make you do this one. Say amen when you get to Exodus 3. Exodus 3, verse 13. Say amen when you have it. I got one. Two, three, four, I think. That's good. That's good work. Just leave it open. Uh, I will read it in a moment and I will pray for us in a moment. Uh, last night, uh, we were at, my son and I were at the Demars home there were some people over. And uh, what happened to me maybe happens to you when you are in group settings like that. Uh, you, you go to talk to someone, you meet them for the first time, you say hi to them, and you don't know them, so you say, what's your name, what's your name, and they tell you. And then within seconds, what happens? You forgot it. It's gone. Sometimes, I even repeat it to myself, I did this last night, great to meet you, Luke, your name is Luke, good to meet you, Luke, great to meet you, Kate, nice to meet you, pleasure. And then seconds later, it goes away. Why does this happen? I think one of the reasons that this can happen is when our emotions rise, when we are anxious or nervous or, or overwhelmed by the, the situation socially, uh, our ability to think rationally can decline. When we are learning someone's name, even upon introduction, we are naturally more nervous, more Anxious maybe because of the social context and maybe we're unsure of what the other person thinks of us and we really want to impress them and our nerves get going and our ability to do something as simple as remember the word Devin kind of just goes out the window. Emotions, nerves, even the need for acceptance are so powerful, family, that they can cause us to forget something as simple as someone's name right after we hear it. Now, the reason I say this is because our text for this morning starts with a question. What is your name? It's the only time that Moses talks in this Passage. And in the question, Moses is asking this because he's unsure, he's scared, and there is a desire for validation and comfort as he anticipates walking back into Egypt. His emotions are heightened, and God is going to answer Moses, but rather than validate Moses for who Moses is and say, Oh, you're going to do a great job, don't worry about it, you got this, Moses. God is going to teach Moses about himself by revealing. That his name for his people is changeless, is caring, is faithful, is full of power, brings victory and transformation. And this will be his comfort and assurance for him as he walks back into Egypt to lead the people of Israel out. And the reason that this is important for us is the same reason that it is important and was important for Moses. When our emotions are on high... For whatever reason, in whatever context, God desires that we remember the substance and potency of His name. Are you with me? So assurance of who God is, particularly for us in Christ, is what fixes our need for validation. It answers our questions of assurance. It assures us that things will ultimately be okay and that we have been delivered by a mighty hand and that we have been and will be transformed. And I hope to unpack this as we walk through our text in 7 points. Now don't freak out. Some of them are shorter than others. Here are the 7 points. What is his name? His name is caring, it's point number 2. His name is faithful. His name is powerful. His name is patient. His name is victorious. His name is transforming. What is his name? His name is caring. His name is faithful. His name is powerful. His name is patient. His name is victorious. His name is transforming. With that, let's read Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. This is the word of the Lord for you. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you, and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help me now. Hide me behind the cross so that your word would be exalted and so that your people would be helped. I ask that you would do this for the glory of your name and the good of your church. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Point number one, what is his name? So at the start of our passage, we see Moses' question. It's the question... Uh, that Moses asks as the second question in this larger chapter, and he's asking God at the burning bush. The first question he asks is in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, what he's saying is, I don't think I can do this. I don't think uh, I'm really going to be good at this, God. And God's answer is, you're right. But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you. So this is an answer of God's presence with a sign to convince Moses. Look at the second question that Moses asks. He asks, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, I I don't think I can do this, and and no one else is going to think I can do this, unless I have a cosigner. Unless... Someone that they know, it can can be confirmed that this person has sent me. So Moses is looking for an answer to convince Israel. He's worried about, what are they going to say? Am I going to be validated in front of them? Are they going to receive me? Are they going to accept me? And remember, all Israel knows of Moses, if they remember anything at all, because he's been gone for quite a long time, is that he was brought up in Pharaoh's house as an Egyptian. He murdered a man. He ran off somewhere as a wanted man. And his qualifications coming back are, I'm a murderer. I was raised as an Egyptian, the people that oppress you. I've been rejected. I'm a fugitive. And he's been gone for 40 years. Those are his qualifications. And he's going to walk back into Egypt with a story about a voice from a bush that was burning and not consumed and tell them that he's going to get them out of Egypt. And he knows that what they're going to ask is, says who? And why should we believe you? And a bush talk to you? He needs the validation that all of God's authority brings. So in verse 13, he asks God to reveal his name. Are you with me? Now now it's also important to note that during that time to know someone's name was to know something very essential about them, their essence. A name spoke to someone's reputation, to their authority, their power, and their character. Names came with stories, much like our names. Someone tells you their name, that you ask their name, and you also want to know, what's behind this name? Tell me about yourself. And when the Israelites... Ask, inevitably, who sent you. What they want to know is, what's behind the name? What's the story there? What's been revealed to you about the name? And what does that name mean for us right now as slaves? So not only do they want to know, what's the story behind the name? How is this relevant to me? I'm a slave in Egypt. And God answers him. He answers Moses in verses 14 to 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And thus his name is revealed. God's answer is essentially three names. I am who I am. I am and the Lord. Now, now, there are a lot of ways that this can be interpreted or has been, have been interpreted. Philip Ryken says that Moses probably spent the rest of his life trying to figure out what, the, what this meant. I think the simplest way to arrive at what God is communicating about himself, his character, his essence, his reputation, is in the context of verse 12, when God tells Moses, I will be with you. It's in verse 14, God says, I am who I am or I will be what I will be. Or another, another way of saying this is I am what I am. That, that's in the present tense because he doesn't have a past. He does not have he, or a future in that sense. He's eternal. He's infinite. He has always been and only been present. He always is and always will be. He's always been. I am who I am. I cannot be contained. You can't box me in, Moses, and I don't need anyone. I'm self-existent and I'm unchanging. I am who I am. I am what I am. And then this is shortened to simply I am. All coming from the same Hebrew verb which means to be. Then in verse 12, God calls himself the Lord. I am who I am. I am the Lord. In Hebrew, this is Yahweh, which is a play on the Hebrew word to be because they sound similar. It's almost like a shorthand version of I am who I am. So when Moses asks, God, what's your name? They're going to want to know what your name means for them in slavery. God repeats himself. I am who I am, or I will be what I will be, and then shortens it to I am, and finally calls himself the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers. So put simply, I think it means... That the Lord is communicating to Moses, I will be who I will be and all of who I am will be with you. Go tell the people that the God who is and always has been will be present with you and with them to bring them out of Egypt. This is a statement about his name concerning his covenant faithfulness, his presence with Israel and his intent to redeem them this is why Moses, this is why he tells Moses in verse 15 that he is the God of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the interesting thing about these names is that centuries have passed through each of these names. The people of Israel who were bound in Egypt had never met Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. But God's message is that it's one that, that, you, that they've heard through the retelling of stories that have to do with these names. It's almost as if verse 15 is a kind of correction for Moses. Because all Moses, look at verse 13. All Moses plans to say to them is, this is the God of your fathers that appeared to him. And in verse 15, God says, no, 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 tell them Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of covenant faithfulness is coming to them. In other words, if you're going to say my name, say it right. I'm the God of covenant faithfulness. Anytime you see those three words, 3 names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, think that's covenant language. God says, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, the interesting thing about the word remember here is that praise is in view. So God's people ought to always think of him and praise him as the living, reigning, all-powerful, undiminished king that the burning bush showed him to be. And, and, they, and they, the God's people throughout history have, and his people do now. That's what we're praising God for this Sunday morning, for his power, for his faithfulness. The fact that he reigns, that, that he has dominion. Psalm 145, 10-13 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Amen. Amen. And after the revelation of the burning bush, there was more of God to be revealed. God would continue to make the nature of His name known and bring about praise through generations, through His works. And as Israel asked the question, what does God's name for us mean in the midst of our slavery? One thing that would be revealed to Moses and to Israel is that in His redemption, in His covenant-keeping faithfulness, throughout generations, He... Is caring. His name is caring. Are you with me, family? Okay. His name is caring. We see this in verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And the elders that Moses is supposed to go and talk to would have been the heads of various families in Israel. And he is sent with a message from Yahweh that says, I've seen you. I have observed you. And not only have I observed you, I've seen what's been done to you. I've visited you. Now, in generations past, the Lord had visited His people To relieve them. We see this in the book of Ruth during the famine in Moab. The Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now here, this verse fulfills Joseph's expectations in Genesis 50. I am about to die, but this is at the end of Genesis. And Exodus is really just a continuation of that story. Joseph says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so Israel, bound in slavery, may have been wondering if God was there, let alone coming to deliver. Is God even present? Does He even hear me? Does He even know what's going on? What's been going on for four hundred years here? When when Moses comes in the name of Yahweh, I am. He comes in the name of the God who cares who comes to the aid of his people, who is aware of and sensitive to the individual and corporate needs. He's inspecting, he's caring, he's providing, he's gentle. He is the God who sees them. And and when you see this in the book of Exodus, especially in the early parts when he says, I've seen you, it comes with the sense that he sees them and intends to act. Psalm 106. Many times He delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake He remembered His covenant and relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. So the covenant-keeping faithfulness of God is seen not just that He remembers His covenant, but that He does it through how he cares for them. What good news for struggling saints that God looks upon distress, even the distress of our own making that we make because of our sin. He looks on us, and for the sake of his covenant, not because of us, he cares for us. Some, sometimes, family, In seasons of doubt, in seasons of depression, in seasons of brokenness over sin or guilt or shame, when things seem to be overwhelming, the the one thing you or another brother or sister may need to hear is simply this. God has observed. God sees you, and He's come to help you. He's provided for you in Christ, and He's not turned a blind eye to you, and it's because of Christ, because of his death in your place, that he does not pour his wrath out on you and does not shame you because of your sin. It's because of the death of Christ that he comes to help you, that he's merciful to sinners. If Moses is sent with the message about God's name, about God's covenant-keeping faithfulness, about his care for complaining Israelites in the wilderness, then we are sent with the same message of God's covenant-keeping, faithfulness, and care in Christ. Amen? We must use that and remember that that is a tool in our tool belt to encourage the weary, the broken, the downcast. This is what Moses is sent with. I am who I am, the Lord, Yahweh, the one who keeps covenant, is faithful and cares. Not only is Moses sent with a message of God's care, he's sent with a message of God's faithfulness. We see this in the promise that God makes in verse 17. I promise, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction or misery there of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I promise to bring you to a a land flowing with milk and honey. So this is the script for Moses, right? It's, It's not based on something new. It's based on something old. His faithfulness is based on something old. He, he is fulfilling an old promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." This is, the two, so this is a 2 promise. So he's promised to take them out and bring them into a new land, which highlights the fact that the name of the Lord is faithful, not only to deliver them from slavery and to mend the past, he's faithful to provide the pathway to wholeness for a future and a hope that is going to be fulfilled. And God gives Moses his covenant name to remind his people that his name is one that acts in history to faithfully keep his promises. His name is Faithful, I promise. We live in a world full of broken promises. That's why this is important, at least for me. It's a hard aspect of our existence. Promises are broken all the time. If you've ever had a friend or a spouse or an employer or a parent break a promise to you, then you know the hurt that comes with this. But the joy we have as believers, as christians as followers of christ as people who are regenerated is that we serve a god who never forgets or never breaks his promise So the victory of jesus christ on the cross is evidence of how far our god will go to fulfill and keep his promise with us the resurrected christ is the assurance that we have that we do indeed have a promised victory over sin and death and we will be with him forever We have an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading and kept for us. And and just as this is part of Moses' validation, this is part of ours. The faithful promise keeping God is going with Moses. And if we are in Christ, he is with us. What a word of encouragement to the Israelites who wandered after 400 years and were concerned if God was actually a God of his word. There's no broken promises with him. His name is faithful. Not only is his name faithful, it is powerful. Are you with me? His name is powerful. We see this in 18 and 20. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless you are unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. This is a message of power. God brings Moses with his name, with a message of care and faithfulness and power. Now, notice a few things about this message of power. It's also a message of weakness. First, the, the message that Moses and the elders of Israel are meant to bring to Pharaoh is a message that will be perceived as weakness. How do we know this? We know this because this is what he's told to say Go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of who? The Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go. To which Pharaoh would likely respond. You mean the people, the slaves? Like, the people that I got my thumb on? The, 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 the people that do whatever I tell them, that I drive with a whip, that build and build and build. You mean those people? Like, what are they going to do? And if that's, if that's the God that they serve... I'm not going to listen to him at all because these are weak people and I know they're weak because I'm in charge of them. So based purely on circumstance, this request would seem ridiculous to Pharaoh. What God would choose to be identified with a nation of slaves and then also presume to make a request from the king of the most powerful nation in the region that has enslaved them. God is the... This is the thing. He's the God of the river. He's already shown. He's, he's going to show that. He's the God of the sun. He's the God of the sea. He, he could have picked anything. Like, which Pharaoh would have responded to? Oh, we, you, we have a sun god. You have one. Oh, snap. Like, I, okay, well, tell me what he says. This is serious. He could have introduced himself any way he wants. And in order to get Pharaoh's attention, he says, I'm going to make my name known by identifying with weakness and the things that the world looks down upon. He is the God who comes down and sees the lowly and not only sees them, but chooses to put his name on them and be identified with them. He's faithful to the weak and he displays his power where there is no power. So how does God get maximum glory in Egypt? I'm going to put my name on the weakest, most despised, most disrespected people in the land. I am the God of the Hebrews. Tell him that's who's coming. Now, all of this is an opportunity for Pharaoh to turn and repent. Which is why this is not only a powerful message covered in weakness, it's also a powerful message that comes with patience. Long-suffering, it's only God's mercy and kindness that has allowed Pharaoh to work in justice against God and his people for so long and think that he is actually in charge. One commentator writes, The Lord does not put forth all his mighty power at once. His way with sinners are patient and probationary. The God of providence is so very long-suffering, which is a reminder to anyone that is here that does not know the Lord Jesus. If you are not in Christ, if you not trusted Him, the only reason that you are here is because God is patient with you. And He desires to extend His mercy to you. And he, 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 Christ is laid bare for you in this service so that you might see His death for your sin under the wrath of God in your place. And you might know that He's been resurrected so that you can have new life. If you are here and you've not run to Christ for safety and forgiveness, you are still here because the God of power is a God of patience. Would you, would you turn and trust Christ? If you don't know what that means and you feel your heart moving towards it, would you talk to someone before you leave today? The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. The the God of power and patience in Exodus is the same God that lives now and is patient with you. Would you trust Him? Pharaoh, powerful man given mercy by God and a message that comes veiled in weakness is a man of military might, a man of many men and he responds to power and God is going to show him power. Moses would not need military might, he would, he would not need an army, he would have the might of God's own hand, which is why he says, Pharaoh's only going to convinc- be convinced if there's a mighty hand, and I will be that mighty hand. No added power needed for Moses, all he needs is God's hand. I am. Yahweh is the only one who has the power to bring things into fruition and cause things to be by Himself. And this is the God who is going with Moses. Moses is sent by a God whose name is infinitely powerful. And in the last section of our text, we see that God's powerful name is also victorious. Not only victorious, it's also transforming. Look at Exodus 3, the last uh, two verses in our, in our passage. Exodus three twenty one and 22. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So, shall you, you, so, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. That's obvious from the text that God will give the Israelites victory over the Egyptians, but He will do it by displaying that the hearts of all... Turn at the direction of his will. So he will let you go. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So it's not just the Egyptians that God holds sway over. He's victorious in the hearts of all people in this story. They will listen to you. I will give you favor in their sight. Everything's going to go the way according to my plan because I am the God who is victorious over the human heart. God is the one who initiates victory here, and his purpose is not simply to defeat Pharaoh but, and plunder the Egyptians, but radically also transform Israel. He transforms the nature of their relationship to the Egyptians. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they go from oppressed and enslaved to having favor in the sight of their oppressors. He transforms the conditions and restores their dignity. They leave Egypt with all that they've been deprived of for the last 400 years, clothing and wealth that will later be used to beautify the tabernacle where they would be free to worship God. Not only that, but the, the fact, this is interesting, the fact that only the women were meant to, be plund- to do the plundering shows that God is restoring dignity to members of the population that the Egyptians would have regarded as less than. And when they leave Egypt, they will have gone from wearing rags to the finest jewels. He is going to completely transform them and give them victory. And this is a God who is completely victorious and has totally transformed His people by the end of this entire story, bringing them out of Egypt. This is the name that Moses comes in. The name of God, known for caring, for His faithfulness, for His power, for His patience, for His victory, And for his transformation. This is the I am that Moses goes with. This is his confidence. This is his confidence walking into Egypt. And this I am would continue to make his name known through his works. Through the rest of Exodus. He's going to do it through the prophets. He's going to do it through priests. And he's going to do it through kings. And yet, no one would see him. Not until the Word would put on flesh and come and dwell among us. And then we would see His glory. Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ, God in flesh, would make the I Am that I Am known. The name Jesus, Yahweh saves, would be proclaimed to Mary and Joseph and he would grow in wisdom and he would astound many. And the God of the burning bush who sent Moses back to Egypt would stand up and tell the religious leaders in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am the self-existent eternal God had come incarnate. The same God who made covenant with Abraham, the same God who revealed himself to Moses at the bush, and and the one who was moving in the world to deliver his people had come in the person of Jesus Christ. And Christ Jesus is the I am of Exodus here. And the Alpha, in Revelation 1, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is self-existent the hebrews tells us that jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever he is the self-existent christ who was in the beginning with god john tells us all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made was, was not anything that was made now God's name is caring in Exodus, and in the person of Christ, we see the caring, observant God coming down and looking upon His people. And Mark and Luke tell us that He would have compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And He would teach them many things. And He would raise a widow's son. And give him to his mother. And it says that fear had seized them all in Luke 7. And they glorified God saying, when they see Jesus, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. This is the faithful Christ. The God of Exodus is God come in the person of Christ. And he is faithful. What what about his faithfulness? Well, Moses, who was faithful in all God's house as a servant. is is seen perfectly in Christ who is faithful right now over God's house as a son. And we are His house, church. And the God of Exodus is faithful to all His promises to this house, to His people. For all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to the glory of God for His glory. And Jesus Christ is power come in weakness. So just as God chooses in Exodus to identify with weakness and make His power known through weakness, through the incarnate Son of God, God is once again doing to display His almighty power as Jesus heals the sick and raises the dead and He would come as a lamb to be crucified in weakness, 2 Corinthians tells us. Even greater than all these amazing demonstrations of His power is the reality that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God displays his power to conquer sin and death and that G- and Jesus lives and rises again clothed in weakness he suffers under the hand of a Roman dictator he suffers at the hand of the Jewish Jewish leaders and he's mocked and he's ridiculed and he's spit upon and he's he's shamed in weakness and yet this is what marks his power Just as God the Father in Exodus patiently endured Pharaoh the oppressor of his people, Christ Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And just as Moses takes a message of power veiled in weakness to an evil king who would only be moved by a mighty hand, we can remember that 1 Corinthians tells us this. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, and we preach, what? Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And it's through the gospel of Christ, the gospel that looks like weakness to the world, that God brings power. This, the, he, messi- he blesses the message of the gospel, and, and it's a powerful message that the world perceives as weak, and it's seen and summarized and held up in the person of Christ. And it's through the gospel of Christ that calls, God calls sinners to himself and shows himself to be victorious. Believer, you believe today because you were convinced of a Gospel that once seemed foolish to you, that once seemed ridiculous to you, that you once laughed at. I mean, I heard someone the other day say, I just like to party too much. And this is more valuable than Jesus. And yet God overwhelmed your heart and saved you. He was victorious over your heart. He turned your heart into a heart of flesh and removed your heart of stone. Matthew Henry says, with the invitations of the Gospel, God sends the teaching of His Spirit. And thus are men made willing to seek and to strive for deliverance. And Satan loses his power to hold them. They come forth with all they have and all they are and apply all to the glory of God and the service of His church. This is the power of the Gospel to overcome a wicked heart. O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as God would lead the Israelites out of bondage as kings and queens draped in jewels, we have a better promise. We have a better promise than that. We have been made priests of God in Christ Jesus. And we'll reign with Him. We are victorious because Jesus is victorious. And just as God would transform them, we have been transformed. He saves and redeems so that we might be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So it is beholding Christ that actually transforms us. And He surely will do this. Not only that, but as believers, our standing in the world has gone from slaves to sin under the curse of the law to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Jesus is the one in whom we see care, compassion, faithfulness, victory, transformation, validation power clothed in weakness the issue in exodus is that moses wants validation he wants comfort he wants calm for his anxious heart and what god reveals to him are the works of his name a name that is revealed as one who cares as one who's patient as one who's victorious and what matters most now about Moses when he goes back into Egypt is not that he has this checkered past what matters most now about Moses is that he comes in the name of that God that he's marked by that God what matters most about you is that you belong to I am that you remember his name and if you are asking this morning why you matter where your significance lies what gives you what gives you credibility? It's Christ alone. It's Christ alone. It's in Christ alone that you are justified. It's in Christ alone that you find your validity. And Jesus is your validation this morning. Are you with me? So as, as Moses approaches, the, the, focus, uh, 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 the focus is not on his circumstances. The focus is not on Pharaoh. The focus is on the, the God who sent me is victorious and he is with me. And as Monday approaches for you, the focus of your week cannot be on your ability. The focus of your week cannot be on your inability. It cannot be on your lack of talent. It cannot be on what you've done or what you didn't do. It must rest in this family. It must rest in that you have a greater sign than Moses. You have a greater name than your own name. You have Christ crucified, and He is the one who goes with you. He is with you, not only with you, but He is in you. And you are in Him, if indeed you have trusted in Him by faith. Perhaps you've forgotten the task that you carry out this week as a husband, as a mom, as a caretaker are not your tasks but God's part of Moses concern was that he was going in to do all this work himself and God says I will do it I will care for you I will turn hearts and just as Moses needed to be reminded that the I am was with him fit to carry out his work we need to be reminded of the same the story of God's character abides with you in the name of Christ as you humbly submit to him, as you work for his glory and go about your day and do all that he's called you to do, he is working in you and he is working through you and he is working in spite of you because he keeps his covenant and he's faithful. He doesn't work through you because you're dope. He works through you because he keeps his covenant and because of Christ. That, I mean, that'll get you there. That'll get me through the week. And just as Moses was entrusted with the message of God's name, we are entrusted with the Word of God's name and the message of Christ everywhere that we go. Alec Montier says, this is the distinguishing mark of the church. is that they are a trustee of the given Word. This was how it was for Moses. He was sent to Egypt as a bearer of the divine Word, the understanding of the name which God had spoken to him, and we are entrusted with the very same thing. So for those even weary in your gospel sharing, in your evangelism, God sends us often to a people who won't listen, often to a people who reject the message of the gospel, and that is part of proclaiming it too. Moses goes into Egypt and God tells him, he's not going to listen to you. But I will turn him. I will change him. Keep proclaiming Christ. And remember that the power and the story behind the name that you're proclaiming has nothing to do with you. Moses asks God for his name and he receives an answer. His desire is not to remain unknown now, but to be known by us and through us. And God has graciously and generously spoken to us through his word and through his son. And as you behold Christ In the Word, remember that God has been generous with you in revealing His name to you. He's given you a reason and a reason and a reason upon reason to remember His name and trust Him. Assurance of Christ, assurance of Christ and what He's done for you and who you are in Him is what answers your need for validation. You're needing to be convinced of your assurance. You're needing to be reminding that things will be okay and that you've been delivered by a mighty hand and that you have been and will be transformed. Jesus is the answer to all of those questions and concerns. And just as God revealed to Moses, this is who I am for you, we see in Christ, this is who he is for us. And that makes all the difference in our week. Amen. Amen, family. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, that Jesus is sufficient, and I pray that you would use the preaching of your word and the proclamation of Christ from it to bring about good fruit in this church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.